Game Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. Before we get started with this week's show, first off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners, and if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. And on today's show, I've got Ayaz Buta. Ayaz is a member of the British Wheelchair Rugby team aka Murderball and is a recent member of Paralympics GB's team in Rio 2016. So welcome to the show Ayaz. Yeah thanks for having me James, uh, looking forward to speaking to you today. So before we delve into today's show Ayaz, can we go back to where the journey began? Um, well the journey began from birth really. <laughs> um, I was born with a disability called uh, Robert Syndrome uh, which uh, quite coincidental with your name actually um and it it's disability that limits the growth of your like limbs so um i stand at three foot seven three foot eight depending on what day it is um and i weigh about seven and a half stone um and it's also affected my upper body limbs um i've got a right arm which doesn't extend uh and a few finger uh, deformities um yeah um you know all through, throughout my life really it was in and out of hospital um i went to school i've gone through the whole the full education system i've got a degree uh but like my younger days at school were, were quite a challenging time because um you know i spent the first year of my life in a in an incubator in hospital um and you know, I was pretty small, like being looked after, um, you know, being sort of bubble wrapped, you know, that's the sort of thing pe- people do to disabilities, um, which is a natural reaction, really, because you want to protect your your child um, or, or student at school. So um, I went to school uh, just down the road from here uh, where I live in Bolton. And yeah, I was the only person in the wheelchair in my school. and. You know, I had a teacher, a special needs uh, education teacher, uh, who just used to look after me. And, um, you know, without that support from her, um, I still keep in touch with her right now. Um, she she was great for me in school. Um, but now I look back on it, um, like, I always wanted to do sport at a young age. Um, so, like, well, it probably sounds a bit childish, but, like, at break time at school, in primary school, uh, I wanted to play. I could walk a little bit more than I can right now um, uh, back back when I was younger uh, and I, I could run around a lot more um, and um, I just wanted to play football um, with my with my friends um, on the playground you know, 15 minutes and I was never allowed to up to a certain point and then one time I just um, I just thought forget this I'm, I'm joining in um, all, and then the teachers were shocked uh, you know I probably got in trouble and um, and you know that sort of broke that barrier of um, like you know being bowler wrapped and etc. And ever since then, um, the school like let me participate in sports and um, throughout my whole school career uh, life, um, I was quite into sports. Um, and then I say in secondary school. Um, I took up fencing, um, you know, um, and 
you know, that was just a recreational thing. And that was quite good because um, I got to skip a few lessons to, to during the day. So, you know, it's like a win-win that I went to do sport. And um, I think I missed RE. I used to hate RE. So, uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, um, just did fencing. And then uh, we went to this, like, rotary thing. Uh, have you heard of these rotary clubs? Yeah. Uh, there's like the uh, Northwest event going on. Um, and I went down and tried out every different sport, you know, wheelchair racing, basketball, shooting, you name it, weightlifting, I tried it all. Um, throughout that that day, at the end of it, there was like this award for uh, like achiever of the day. And, you know, I got, because I tried everything, uh, they gave me the um, the award, which is quite a rewarding award to get. Um, from there, um, you know, I got scouted um, for wheelchair basketball um, by one of the coaches. Um, I live in Bolton, but it was in Bury, about four or five miles away. Um, so he told me to come down. Uh, I went down, and you know, I, stayed, I played basketball for uh, two years. And you know, I'm, I'm like I mentioned, I'm three foot seven, three foot eight, and seven and a half stone. And um, you know, um, it's a non-contact sport, and I'm smashing into people that are, that are like twice the size and the height of me um, and you know um, I got sent off every game and you know well almost every game and coaches were happy and everything and, uh, and then one, one day I think there was we had a, an evening game and uh, a scout from wheelchair rugby uh, came down to watch and to play wheelchair rugby you have to have like a lower body and upper body disability so like I mentioned before but uh, shortened legs and uh, got a deformity in my right arm which qualified me to play um, so I went down to like a GB training camp where you know we got classified um, you know in, in disability sport you have to be classified by a classifier who measures all your your muscle strengths and weaknesses and all your functionality to make sure you're eligible to play for the sport um, and you know, I got classed as a, a three-pointer um, in in wheelchair rugby, which is like one of the highest classifications you can get. Like it's like the second highest you can get um, on the international stage. Um, so it goes from 0.5, 1, 1.5, 2, 2.5, all the way up to 3.5. Um, and if you're classed as a four-pointer, you can't you can't play the sport in, on an international level. Um, so I got classed as a three-pointer, and I got directed to the closest team to me which is in Southport. Uh, I still play for them. It's called it's called West Coast Crash. Um and that was like in twenty eleven and I still remember my first session, you know uh and it, to play like wheelchair sports you have to have a a chair that's suited for you. And you know, it's my first session and I, I mean a big wide chair um that's probably been designed for somebody that's like, you know, twice the size and twice the weight of me. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm pushing this around and, you know, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed like, like the physical elements of the game and, um, the people were nice. So I decided to carry on. Um, and then for about a year or so, I was like, um, I'm in an hour in which sport should I do? And wheelchair rugby or basketball? Um, um, so I think I chose wheelchair rugby because, you know, I, I think I just preferred it a little bit more. Uh, so I carried on playing that. 
and um, you know, within the first few months of playing, I got um, taken to a tournament by the GB Elite team in Australia. Um, and safe to say, like you know, you know, being a small guy in a big sport like rugby, you know, you got big, powerful people, and you know, I, I was quite targeted, and I never really knew the game, and you know, I got smashed out my chair quite a bit, and you know, there were doubts about my if I would have a have a career internationally, and you know, so after that tournament my sort of GB career sort of ended, you know, um, and it was like implied that, you know, it, it's dangerous for you and, you know, it, you, you're going to get hurt playing internationally because, you know, there's plenty of big hitters out there and stuff. But, again, like in school, you know, I got told it would be safe to play sports with other able-bodied children and I'm facing it again later in my life. Um, where it will be safe to play with, you know, the disabled, but they're bigger than you. Um, um, so I mean, I carried on. Uh, my club coach always, who is the current GB coach now, uh, he's always had the belief in me to to progress and be a big player. Uh, I remember my first session, you know, like we had like a little huddle, and I'm not sure if he was just saying it just to get me to come back or. Um, or if you, I think yeah, I, I like to think he meant it. Um, so and he said like you know this guy's gonna be a big, uh, he's gonna be a big, big player for the club and hopefully, uh, Great Britain um, in years to come. Um, so after that disappointment in the Four Nations uh, in 2010, 2011, um, I carried on playing and you know I started to learn the game. I started to figure out where I fit in the game and so I developed like a a unique agile game. Um, you know, like try to avoid hits and you know being small and nimble and using that to my advantage uh, to get away from the opponents. Um, so I carried on that and slowly, slowly I started getting better and better and you know uh, my skills started getting better and the knowledge of the game started getting better and then. Um, there was like a, a GB development team being set up, which was being run by my club coach, and he said I'd like to give you a shot, um, you know, um, in this in this team uh, in this squad. So I trained with them for a year, um, you know, and at the end of it, there was like a selection um, for a tournament in Prague called Rugby Mania, which is like an end of year tournament, but it's quite a good level sta- standard tournament where a few international teams go to it. Um, so this was after London 2012 Paralympics we went. Um, and on the back of the Paralympics, uh, we, the development team, went to this tournament. And, it, you know, we were like a really young team. And Germany were quite a well-established uh, team. Uh, in, in, well, they still are, actually. And for a bunch of young guys to go and beat them at a tournament was quite a bit of a buzz. And then, uh, we lost to Denmark by a margin, like three three points or something like that. Um, again, for a young team, it was quite promising. So after London 2012, um, like there was like a lot of changes within the GB Elite team. You know, new coach, uh, a lot of players retired and moved on to be- uh, other things. 
and this gave opportunity of like like six seven development people uh, players to come through. Um, so I got called up. I was one of the seven, or I think it was seven, uh, to get called up, uh, and we got taken to a, a test event for the World Championships. Um, we finished fourth, um, which was at one place better than the London 2012 Paralympics team did. But you know, you got to take into consideration, you know, um, teams had time off and they're working on things at that tournament, so it probably wasn't a true reflection on the the world rankings at that stage. Um, so we went up one world ranking to four from fifth to fourth, um, and then that tournament, um, I got voted the best player in my position, which is uh, a two point five. Um, you know how I mentioned about classification before, so I started off as a three four. Uh, a three-pointer, and then some point during my club career, um, I got reclassified and I came down to a 2.5. And then um, my first GB Elite tournament, um, I got classed. Um, you have to have three international classes, uh, classifications. Um, so I had my first one in that first GB tournament in 2013. Um, and then that year we trained uh, for the European Championships. Um, yeah, like I mentioned, we were like a new team, uh, you know, uh, a very inexperienced team uh, compared to all the all the teams that were there at the European Championships that year, and you know we finished with a bronze medal, um, which was probably a fair reflection of the of the standard we were at there. Um, so next year, uh, that was in 2013. Uh, in 2014, we went to the World Championships, um, and this is where we started getting better and better as a team and more experience. You know. We we travelled everywhere really, like USA, Canada, um, everywhere, um, just to get the experience and get get the inexperienced guys a lot of experience um, in prep. Um, so whilst I'm whilst I'm playing as an athlete, I'm also working. Um, so I worked at the um, I don't think I'm allowed to say the name, but um, it's like a, a well known. Um, a bank um, and uh, just a call centre job really you know sat behind the desk doing projects all day um, and you know I was, I was juggling life as an athlete and an employee and slowly slowly as I got my athlete commitments got more and more and more my training got um, um, more intensified uh, and the travel got more. Um, it was quite hard for me to to juggle both. So in in 2015, um, we sorry, I decided to to leave my job um, to focus on like the European Championships to qualify for Rio, and then hopefully um, um, get to Rio um, myself. Um, so it was like a a one and a half year plan just to give it everything. And in 2015, um, we we beat Sweden by one point uh, in the final, and you know we'd already qualified um, to because in the European zone, um, if you get to the final of the European Championships, you're through to the um, yeah you got an automatic place at the Paralympics. Um, but you know, GB hadn't won a European Championship for about eight years, ten years maybe. Um, and we wanted to be the team that 
you know, that broke that duck. And, you know, we beat Sweden by one point in the last, I think it was six seconds, where, where a guy with your name uh, called Jim Roberts um, just sprinted the full, full length of the court in like five, six seconds and scored the goal. Um, and, you know, we wanted to win that because like, the winner of the European Championships got to go to the test event for, for the Paralympics. And, you know, that was an extra incentive to win. Um, so um, we beat Sweden by one and then went to the test event for the for the Paralympics. It was like a four-team tournament. So Australia, who were champions of, who were like Paralympic champions. Uh, Canada, who were the US, uh, the American zonal champions. Uh, GB were the European zonal champions. And then Brazil, who were the, the host nation. So... Um, <coughs> We 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 got a gold medal there, um, but you know it probably wasn't a true reflection at the time because you know people, teams are working on things and experimenting and it's a test event and you know like they were testing things out like we were testing things out as well. So although it was nice to get a gold medal, you know be you know be ahead of the likes of Australia and Canada at the time, um, you know we knew that it probably. Um, wasn't a true reflection and um you know we'd we'd have to work harder to to beat those teams in a year's time. Um so I trained that year, um, you know, sacrificed a lot. Um I was away uh at training camps and then I did a bit of extra training as well. because uh, around my area where I live I'm like I'm not the very well I wasn't the most well situated player um within the squad. So my regional training I had to do like in Birmingham, which is like an hour and a half, two two hours away. Uh every day. Um not every day, every week, sorry, twice a week. Um, which was quite a struggle. Um so my captain, uh, Chris Ryan said, you know, you're welcome to come and stay and train with me every week or when you can. So um I did that, uh, so we I go down on a Sunday night, uh, train Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, come back, um, and then it was like into a training camp after that, and then back to his house, did training, and you know it was quite intense training for everyone, really. um, and we we found out about two or three months before. Uh, the Paralympics that we got, that I got selected, and we had like a big launch, and you know, I was, my reaction was quite subdued. Um, you know, we got taken into a room with the performance director and the two coaches, and like, you know, he said, um, "We're sorry, but we're going to have to take you to the Paralympics." You know, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, playing with your heartstrings there a little bit, and. Um, uh, I just said thank you and then just stayed silent and the, there was like an awkward silence and um, I don't know, I, was just, I think I was just like taking it in um, and the coach said, do you not want to say anything? Um, I go, no, not really and then I went, thank you, bye <laughs> and then um, um, went um, so the, the process was like you go into a room and then you go into another room where everyone else was selected um, so um, it, it was fair on everyone to find out um, 
you know, if they weren't selected or not selected um, anonymously. So we had to go through like a secret room where, um, and I think it was alphabetical order. So my name is Buta. So I was like one of the first to find out. And I was in a room with the captains and, um, you know, that's when it started to kick in and the excitement. Saw the smile on the face, all the hugs and stuff. And, you know, we made it. Um, so, yeah, we, we trained for the next, like, intensely for the next uh, two or three months after that. Uh, you know, it was an exciting time, really. You know, you felt like a celebrity, you know. Um, you know, lots of media requests. And it was my first ever Paralympics, so it was quite new. It, it was quite an exciting time getting all the, getting kitted up for your Paralympic kit. Um, and then the delivery of your Paralympic kit, like, took up my, my whole room, really. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I'm just thinking back on it now. It, it's all just like it just flew by, like with you know, it's it probably one of the greatest moments of my life. Really going going to Rio and competing, and like the first the first game against Australia, um, we we lost by two points, um, and then the next day. Uh, we played Canada. We had like a group of death, um, you know, because uh, it it could have been any three team really. Because uh, with wheelchair rugby, there's two groups of four. Top two qualify for the semi-finals to to compete for a medal, and we lost by two to Australia, where, which we feel we could have um, we could have won. You know, a few silly mistakes and. Uh, you know, here and there could have been avoided. Uh, and again, against Canada, really, um, we, we've we've given every time we play Canada from 2014 to 2016, it's always been a a one point victory either way. And you know, and they managed to beat us by one point within the last 10 seconds, which ended our medal hopes really. Um, and yeah, that was a real disappointment. Um, you know, I had to do a TV interview on Channel 4 straight away and I think I was trying to hold back the tears, but I don't think that <laughs> uh, they were. Um, and, you know, one of my family members recorded the interview and sent it me and I've, I've still not watched it to this day. I think it's somewhere hidden on my phone, but um, uh, I can't bring myself to watch it. Um, um, and from then on, you know, we, we knew our tournament was over because, uh, you know, we couldn't medal. But uh, our next objective was that was um, to be the number one team in Europe, um, which the highest we could finish with fifth was fifth. And you know, the coaches said, um, you know, we we expect you to finish fifth, um, and we did. We beat Sweden by I don't know. I think it was double figures by thirteen, something like that. Um, and then you know, we went home. Uh, had a few months off, and then yeah, you must have heard about the. So every um, every four years, um, UK sport uh, have a meeting and decide to which sports to fund and how much to fund. And we weren't even expecting to to lose our funding. I think I, I, deep down I was expecting like a really lower amount because you know we were quite well funded uh, between for the real cycle um, and. I don't think I was expecting that much funding, but I was expecting some kind of funding. But, you know, to lose your funding completely was like a complete shock. 
um, you know, I was on the way to to London to uh, one of my teammates. I was, was having like a little get together, uh, um, and the whole way I spent on the phone talking to teammates like what does this mean uh, you know the coach is ringing me and I was like oh, don't worry we'll we'll appeal it and you know uh, you know I, I was quite reliant on the £12,000 funding that I was getting uh, being a UK sport funded athlete um, and you know the, the reality of lose, losing that was quite daunting you know like I sacrificed my job to do this sport, and now uh, the money's been taken away from me. And you know, all right, it, it's not a substantial amount, like twelve thousand, but um, it was enough for me to train and live sort of modestly and just get by. And but I was happy with that because, um, right, I'm representing my country, and so. Um, yeah, it was, I could manage. Um, so although it was quite tough, but I could manage with it. And um, I think we appealed the decision in February, and it still got rejected. Uh, you know, sports like badminton losing their funding as well. You know, it, winning their first medal, which is a bit, um, a bit harsh on them as well. Um, um, so it, it's harsh on us as well. Because we missed out by one point to compete, but that's the reality of the uh, the situation we're in. Um, so, you know, uh, 2017 really was quite a tough year. Um, you know, because it you, it took me a few months to get over um, like what's going to happen. Because um, I think there was like a period of like not depression, but like um, just being down about going to training and. Like, you know, what's the point? You know, like, it's not, it's not going to get anywhere. And you know, what's going to happen? The, the future of the sport is, is not, it's not secure. Um, and we, the, I think there was one camp where our CEO came down and just reassured us, um, that he's working on things and trying to get us funding, um, you know, and then we, we launched the fundraising campaign, which has uh, raised 40, 41,000 pounds so far. Um, I think, uh, I think maybe 45 now, um, which is like an incredible amount to help us. Um, well, you know, when you've, when you've lost 3 million, um, you know, to get that, uh, 45,000 will be a massive help for us. Um, you know, it guarantees us like, training camps and um you know getting us to a tournament and you know luckily we've got a sponsor on board called lmax exchange um who have kindly funded us um i think it's fifty thousand pounds a year which guarantees us a major tournament every year and a few training camps um so the team are sorted um but we're still trying to you know find money to get to take us to these extra tournaments to prepare uh, the best we can. Um, uh, but on an individual level, you know, um, um, you know, we, we've had to find sponsorship, and it's quite a struggle finding sponsorship when, um, 
you know, you've not got a medal around your neck uh, and it's quite, you know, you're struggling to offer companies things and there's things you can offer companies like, um, you know, um, I do a lot of public speaking outside of like sport. Um, you know, I, I, that's one thing I can offer them and amongst other things like social media exposure, etc. cetera. Uh, but ultimately, you know, um, you can't really pull a sponsor in really if there's no medal around your neck really. And there's, that's the sort of thing that I've been struggling with. Like I've been, I've been, like I've, I've approached like hundreds of companies and, you know, uh, just been rejected um, all the way. And, you know, hopefully I'm, I'm talking to a couple of uh, potential sponsors at the moment, but um, hopefully that comes out and hopefully we can work a partnership out. Um, but I think it's a really good time for somebody to believe in us, really. Because, um, you know, between the top five in the world, um, there's um, there's like one or two points in it. So uh, Australia beat USA by one point at the Paralympics. Uh, and uh, USA beat Japan by one point, one or two points to get to the final. Japan beat Canada by two or three points and Canada beat us by one point. So it's like on the day really and performing and, you know, I don't think there's any sport in the world that's apart from the Premier League really, but um, <laughs> there's that close. Um, and yeah, um, I think next year, I think we can do big things at the World Championships, you know, um, like no European team has ever, has ever medaled on the world stage. Um, and I feel we're in the best position to do that. Um, but it just depends how much training we can do and how much preparation due to the lack of funding. Um, so this year, like 2017, you know, we we usually have like a few preparation tournaments and a lot more camps than we usually had. Um, the only thing that we had this year was um, uh, a home series against Denmark. Um, like it was like a five game series where they came down to us and um we played a few games. I think we won the series four one. Um that's the only international ex uh, exposure we had uh, this year going into European championships, which probably isn't great, even though we're number one in Europe, um you know, you wanna make sure that you you're best prepared and you know, um luckily we had like um a lot lot of new guys coming in who you know like I mentioned about classifications like three fives we never had a our highest pointer was a three pointer and we we had a a couple of three fives come in uh, and a few returnees like you know um, that are really experienced and and the level of our training camps just shot up like we could play you know, two intense lines against each other which could probably match any like what any European team um, and you not know, too. We were quite lucky to have that, and um, I think that's what prepared us in the best possible way to to retain our gold medal at the, at the uh, European Championships. Um, yeah, um, we I think we won all five games at the European Championships, and you know it's probably our best performance. Uh, as a GB team 
at any European Championships ever. Um, you know, and you know, it's really consistent and and it shows we had um great uh, squad depth as well because our our most experienced high pointer was um had a family wedding to go to on the day of the final, so we never had him for the final. And to do that, to win the gold medal and beat Sweden by eight, um shows that we have like great great quality and depth in the squad now. And hopefully we can kick on and um get a medal at next year's world world championships and then the next year qualify for Rio and then the year after that um get a medal at the Tokyo twenty twenty Paralympics. So yeah. Sorry, I but I was speaking a lot there. Um, no, that's fine, I asked. But in terms of like your personal circumstances, obviously with losing funding, yeah. have you had to go back into full-time work as well now, or not? Um, I, it, it was a bit of a debate that I was having. Um, I've got my CV prepared, uh, you know, um, like updated. But um, really, I don't want to do that. Because um, I feel... This team's like on the verge of something, something really special. I want to be a part of it as much as I can, like a big part of it. Like if I went back to work, um, like I was really struggling, like with my fitness. You know, I was really tired. You know, doing a full day's work and training, and you know, you're not getting the full benefits of your training if you're so tired and you're doing it tired. Um, although my workplace were um, quite accommodating, um, like giving me time off and letting me go part-time and things like that. Um, well, again, it, it takes its toll, its toll on you. Um, like, I get tired now and I'm doing training. Right? Um, right. So, <laughs> uh, imagine what I'm doing when I'm working and training. So, I mean, it is an option there. that I, I will do it if I have to. Uh, and there's, there's companies out there that will employ athletes and give time off and um, things like that. Because I went to... An athlete futures event in January, I think. Um, sorry, last year. Um, and there are a few, lots of companies out there looking to employ uh, sports people and looking to support them. Um, but I think um, I just want to have the the freedom of like training and giving everything to my sport. And the only thing I can do is like. Um, carry like try and raise my public speaking profile and uh, get the try and get some jobs in there and also try hopefully try and find a company or, or a businessman to to sponsor me like a small amount uh, to carry on um i mean we are getting supported now uh through a great great wheelchair rugby um you know we've done some fundraising and um like we're getting a little bit of a like sub subsidized costs, like living costs and um, like training costs and equipment costs, um, and but you know that that's just to keep you going. Uh, it's not really sustainable for a living, and um, I mean we're grateful to have it, and you know it's keeping us in the sport for now. But um, I want to, you know, have that financial security behind me uh, through sponsorship and. Yeah, so that's where I'm at. Um, and if I do have to go back into work, um, I will go back into work. 
And also, I was reading, Ayaz, you've been coined as the John, John Aloma of wheelchair rugby. How did that nickname come about and who kind of gave it to you? Um, I think, to be honest, the, the, the reporter sort of gave me that um, for the headline, really. Um, I'm not really seen as a, like a powerhouse, uh, you know, um, and, you know, I, I get mocked by my teammates, like, oh, Joe, like, you know, like at the time in the sport, you know, uh, that article came out, it was, um, you know, I don't really get called that. <laughs> I think it was more like beefed up for the, for the, for the headline. Um, well, you know, um, I'll probably my my true likeness to will uh, to a rugby union player is um, uh, Jason Robinson, really. Um, like like agile, uh, quick off the mark, and you know, uh, fast. Um, and I, and I met Jason as well and played um, uh, wheelchair rugby with him uh, at the 2014 Invictus game in the celebrity match. Um, so yeah, he's a really nice guy, and um, yeah. Um, like an honour to meet him, along with all like the celebrities like Prince Harry and etc. Um, yeah, so that's my true likeness. In if you're going to put a comparison in there, um, well, I don't like to have comparisons really. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's an awkward one really because he's well well known like in video clips for steamrolling over people, whereas in a wheelchair yeah. rugby. You probably knock people over, but you're not yeah. steamrolling over them. Yeah. And obviously, looking at like a lot of pictures that you're in, yeah. you're generally on one. Well, it's more, I would say, agility type thing because you're generally well. Yeah. There's a few of them you're only on one wheel and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, agility is my main, um, my main strength. You know, there are people that there are players that are more agile than I am, but um, you know, for for my class that I'm in, um, I'm probably one of the most agile players out there uh, for my classification. Uh, but the higher you go, uh, the more agile. Um, the higher point you go, the more agile, the more powerful, the more, more speedy you'll be. Um, yeah. And in terms of, obviously, for the listeners, can you explain to them, obviously, the difference, probably from a weight uh, perspective, the difference between a rugby li- uh, rugby chair and a basketball one. Yeah, um, so my current uh, wheelchair rugby chair is about 17, 18 kilos. Um, and with me inside it, um, it, you know, it's about 60 kilos or something. Um, and um, like a basketball chair, they, they're light and nimble. Uh, I'm guessing they're about 7 to 10 kilos, maybe. Um, what do you reckon? No, I'd say about that. Maybe, maybe even a bit lighter now. With yeah, a bit the, light, yeah, with the titanium and yeah. aluminium coming through. Um, yeah. So, you know, um, yeah, like in a basketball chair, you'd probably be able to go fast, much faster. But, um, but in a rugby chair, you, you have to have that because it's a it's a contact sport. You have to have the weight behind you. Um, I mean, you can't really feel it. Um. Uh, when you're pushing it now, but when I first started playing, um, I was really struggling because you know um, I'm, I'm about you know probably at the time I was about 42 kilos, and I'm pushing something that's like 17, 18 kilos. You know, it, it's all, it's almost half my weight. Um, I'm pushing, so I had to like um, get stronger and 
you know, in my shoulders and do a lot of weight training just to just to push the thing. And now it's like um, it's like nothing really. And you, you know, you're so used to it. And you do all this training, and um, you can yeah, you don't really feel it. Um, I've just returned from like a like a month off. Um, and my first session, Matt, you can just like you don't realize like how uncomfortable the sports chairs are. Like when you've had a, like an extended period away, and you sat in your your daily use chair like in comfort, and then you go and then you go into. <laughs> I sat in my um like rugby chair um a couple of weeks ago, and just like this is really uncomfortable. Like I don't and um. Yeah, um, I was pushing it, and you know, you know, when you've had a month off, you've lost all your strength, well, most of your strength and most of your fitness, and you you can feel like the weight of the chair more than usual. Um, so hopefully, I'm getting back to a bit of fitness now. Although my teammates might argue after yesterday, um, <laughs> but um, I, I feel I feel quite um, yeah, I feel it's an upward curve. Uh, but then the break was the break because of uh, illness or injury then no um, we came back from the European Championships uh, like second or third of July uh, and we usually like have like a that's our end of season really um, and you know we just had like some guys have two weeks off um, I probably shouldn't be telling this but like I, I took a month off like, my, coach, my, my coach might be listening <laughs> might not be happy but um, you know, my, my my local club only started training two weeks ago, so I just thought, let me go back when they start training. So, um, you know, I did a couple of gym sessions here and there, but nothing too too heavy. Um, but at this part of the season, it's like it's like off season now, um, and going into the club season. Um, so the club season starts for us in end of September. So, um. Slowly, slowly. Hopefully, I'll be fit by then. Um, yeah, I should be fit by then. Um, got like a, a month and a half to get ready for that. And then uh, I think the club season ends in February. And then international season will probably kick, kick off more with training camps more frequently after that, depending on the funding situation, if we can get it. Um, we've actually got um, like a debrief for the European Championships tomorrow. Um, I'm going down to Birmingham and hopefully find out some more information um, about the coming 12 months, like how we're going to prepare for the World Championships, uh, etc. And then, Ayaz, you talked like uh, early doors about um, that sports changed your life. Yeah. How, how so has it done that? Um, I think... Um, before sports, I was like this shy individual that never really talked to people and um, just, like, I was probably an introvert, really. Um, like, I'd stay in my room. Well, I probably still do. Well, um, <laughs> um, and just watch TV. Well, I do that anyway, but uh, I still do that. Um, but, you know, I, I was quite shy talking to people and, you know, um, there's like a point in my life where uh, I struggle, like, with my disability, like, uh, and confidence issues. Um, you know, every time I went out, uh, it still happens now, but, you know, um, it doesn't affect me. Um, but um, 
I mean, you, you probably know anyway, like uh, the way people look at you when you've got a disability. Um, and, you know, people doing a full 360 turn and stopping what they're doing and just watching you, it, it really made, made me feel really uncomfortable. <laughs> and there was like a point where I was really afraid to go out and, you know, I'd stay in and, um, like, not talk to people and be moody and everything. I think sport, I, I don't know, like, um, I don't know what made me go into sport. But I think I got pushed by, like, you know, the people around me um, to go to that basketball session. And, um, you know, since then, you know, I made friends, uh, got more confident, you know, got people around me that are accepting and, you know, they've got their own disability you know you know we now we just i just every time i get looked in looked at in the street you know i give that person a smile uh or you know and if they're close to me uh, talk to them really just to show them you're a normal quotation um person and you know just try and change people's um, perception of you um through that little small gesture of a smile or um know uh, a one minute combo uh and that helps me as well because um you know it gives me more confidence to approach more and more people and talk about myself and over the years of um you know my true nature's come out like i'm quite a jokey person in the team you know there's no there's nothing you can't do where i like pick up on and you know make a make a joke of or make a fan of you know yeah, my teammates will um, um, t- testify to that, really. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and, yeah, just, like, keeping things like heart in there. And um, I think without that, without the influence of sport in my life and meeting these people uh, who are in the same situation as me, as me and playing a sport uh, that we love and going on this journey together to the success. I don't think um, I'd be anywhere near like the person I am today. Um, yeah, it's all about confidence, isn't it? Um, with anything, um, like if I'm not confident in a game, I'm not going to play well. If I'm confident in a game, I'll play well. If I'm not confident in life, I'm just going to be unsuccessful. So um, I think confidence in, is key, and um, I think. Like when I go into schools and things, and the big word I talk about is uh, resilience, really. And because like all my life, like throughout school, um, you know, I get told you can't do this, you can't do that. At home, you, you get told you can't do this, you can't do that. But then when you show people, you can do it. And then when you get knocked down, after you, you know, like 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 I did um, in 2010, um, being told you'll struggle to have an international career. Um, you just go back and get back and try and prove people wrong and resilience and confidence and you can probably think a lot of words but those two have really stuck with me over the years and um, I look to spread that message uh, in my school talks and public events that I do and if we come back like you were talking about your, your season runs from September to February is it quite condensed and quite a lot of fixtures to what would it be in a 
would it be three about a five month period yeah um so the way our uh, league competition works is um it's like three weekends uh four weekends sorry so the three weekends are like a league weekend so it's like a league competition um and it's five games over two days um which is quite quite tough and you know every um there's like eight clubs in the in division one and most of the GB team are like spread around uh, across the teams. And um, my team had five players, is it five? Five players and a staff member uh, representing GB at the um, um, European Championships. And same with London and, and Tigers. Um, those three are like um, the the top three clubs really like if you go off the league league standings that that produce like the gb players um and yeah so it's like five games over three weekends um and it's done like a competition format so four two teams of uh, two groups of four uh top through top two get through to the semi-finals and then you play a final uh, and then you get points on where you finish in that tournament, and then it goes on to a league table. Um, obviously, whoever's top at the end of the third uh, are the league champions. And then we have a national championships um, where you know, like all the Division One and Two teams compete uh, at the same league weekend, and um, yeah, and then you, that's like done the same way, same format. Um, Two two groups of four, um, yeah, and you get crowned national champions if you win it. Yeah, um, it's quite a tough two days. It's like, like when we when we go international and and we play one game, that's hard enough. Um, um, and playing five, like three games one day, two games the other day, um, it is quite a a challenging time and. Uh, you have to be really fit for those, uh, for those, because uh, like myself and a few other guys, like we play like the majority of the games, like the majority of the minutes of the games, and you have to keep yourself fit. And um, you know, um, each um, each team has like a small squad of like five five to eight players, um, so every player has to be to be fit and. Um, play major minutes and over the over the weekend. But does that not come down to logistical problems and and things like that? Because, would as you said, it takes a toll on the the athlete. Would it not be better to maybe, I don't know, maybe copy the model that basketball uses and do like home and away fixtures? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think people are happy with this format. It's been done for ever since. I can remember really, and there's never been really any complaints about it. It's like a fun weekend away, isn't it? But, um, well, it's not fun. Well, it is fun, but you know, there's a bit of seriousness about it. <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, um, it's just the way the format works, really. And, and like, I'd say if they fancy a change, that like, they could look into it. But I think they think it it works, and if it isn't broke, you don't fix it, do you? So. Um, um, I mean, but what they try—I think what they try to do is like get the club season finished and then start because like um, 
and then start the international season. So, um, because if if they run both side um, both simultaneously together um, over the year, you know, um, like I mentioned, like each team has like limiting amount of players, and you know, if you're taking um, two or three GB players out of each team, you know that club's going to struggle to train or uh, struggle to compete. Um, and yeah, so I think the format works for the way the 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 wheelchair rugby international calendar is set. Um, so yeah, that, I think it works quite well. And my penultimate question for you: Where do you kind of see yourself and the sport going? It obviously in the future. Um, like the whole sport, or the just the. Uh, a little bit of both, the whole sport in general and also the GB programme? Yeah, um, so the whole sport really. Um, I think it's getting more and more competitive. Like, I think Rio was the most competitive final. Well, what I can remember, and people can say I'm wrong, but, you know, to go into like, I think it was double overtime and um, winning by one point, um, you know, I think that was probably the greatest game I've seen live myself and you know been watching like the likes of USA Japan uh, compete at tournaments overseas uh, just recently you know they're looking really strong uh, both teams um, so they're getting stronger and stronger and I think even Japan uh, with their home with it being a home Paralympics um, they're just going to throw everything behind it I think they're going to be a major major uh, player uh, team and you've got like even in the European zone you've got got France who are up and coming Sweden who are like well established you've got Denmark who've got a few exciting players coming through um, so um, I think it's going to be really really competitive um, uh, come Tokyo uh, with GB I think um, you know um, you know with, with we just need to sort the funding situation out, really. Um, you know, um, you know, we've got enough money. Well, we've got some money for camps and comp- uh, a competition, but you know, to prepare for a world championships, you want to be playing the best frequently. So you want to you want to play against the likes of Australia, USA, uh, Canada, Japan, uh, Denmark, Sweden, France. Um, more frequently and just to get the exposure uh, to best prepare yourself. And like I said, um, where we got um, a debrief tomorrow just to just to brief us, um, like review the European Championships and then look look forward and hopefully we've got some exciting news coming up um, regarding our calendar over the next twelve months. And this is one question I didn't actually ask you. Uh, did you as did you get to go to London 2012 as a spectator? Yeah, I went as a spectator, um, and yeah, I went to watch the final. Um, and yeah, um, I mean, never in my life, like I thought I would. Four years later, I'd be com- competing at my own. Yeah, I'd be on the court myself um, in four years, like. I just thought it was a distant reality, um, and you know what? Slowly, slowly, it happened, and um, I was 
I was living on a hard, didn't it, really? And, and like, um, you know, I think those two words, isn't it? Um, resilience and confidence, and you know, doing overcoming everything. Like every athlete has their own barriers, but um, I think I've had a lot of barriers to to overcome, like um, to get to where I am. Um, and now we're facing another barrier uh, with you know, no support behind us and hopefully we can prove people wrong come from Japan. And can you kind of describe to the listeners, well, in maybe in your own words, what was the atmosphere like between what you experienced as a spectator in London to what you experienced as an athlete in Rio? Yeah, London was like, everyone was buzzing in the country, weren't they? Um, you know, the Olympics and Paralympics are here, and um, I think I think the real 2016 final was more was much louder. But I think that's just through the culture barrier. Like you know, Brazilians are quite dancey and lots of noise, and you know, the horns are too in. Uh, whereas like the British culture is more reserved and more ad- like admiring. You know, uh, but. I think Rio was a bit louder. Um, like sometimes, like I, I I can't remember when in London if I like closed my ears uh, due to like the the louder the loudness of the um, the fans. Um, well, yeah, I mean they're both different, isn't it? Um, I mean I enjoyed London because it was home, and I enjoyed Rio because it was my first. And being a spectator um, at both finals. Uh, and um, the Rio 2016 final was probably the um, best game I've ever seen live and um, I think the fans appreciated how close it was as well so it it was a bit louder I think in London 2012 uh, Australia were beating Canada by about 5 or 6 which is quite a substantial margin to get back on an international it can be done but you know Australia were quite consistent in that tournament, um, but in Rio, um, even if I didn't know, I kept me, me and my teammates were watching it together. I was like, "Australia's going to win." No, USA is going to win. Australia, like, you don't know. It was like it was that exciting. Um, so yeah, think between the both Paralympics, they're both great in their own way. And if you had to choose for the one to have been your first Paralympics. Which one would it have been? Would it have been London or would it have been Rio? Um, it would have been London because you know it, you know, um, it's a home Paralympics, isn't it? And that's never going to come around again. In well, well, possibly, yeah. possibly, <laughs> I doubt it, but it is yeah. it is well, possible. Probably not in my lifetime or my career, like um, sport as a sportsman, and and I would have loved to have. Um, you know, competed and, you know, speaking to a few teammates who went to London 2012, competed there, they said, you know, it, it best time of their life. And, well, um, real, you know, that was special as well. I've never been to Brazil. Um, and I've been to Brazil twice now, so. Um, and, um, you know, um, that first game when you're playing in a packed crowd uh, for... Ten to fifteen thousand people, um, 
we're used to just playing in front of like max 20 people really <laughs> at our league competitions in front of friends and family and to that level of uh, intensity through the crowd was just like it was scary at first but when you get used to it you, you sort of feed off it and it's weird because like if, if I look back on the games now as I got into the game you don't really recognize like notice the crowd you're just like focused on uh, the court um, and yeah I think the more and more um, exposure we can have to bigger audiences and things like that will help like any team prepare really um, for the Paralympics. But then that's a difficult one with coverage. I know, I know you had up in what would have been the lead up to Rio, you had your event, well, test event, so to speak, yeah. in the copper box. And that was uh, aired live. Was, I think ITV did it for you. But it's, I don't know, it's, it's a difficult one because you could say, well, this is my opinion now, uh, that Paralympic sport maybe should get more coverage because they actually, in theory, do better than the Olympic team. But it maybe comes down to that complexity of uh, classification and explaining. And to some people, it's maybe just too overcomplicated sometimes and it just goes over people's head and that's why well, able-bodied sport but obviously able-bodied sport is the forefront anyway and yeah. it's probably money is to be blamed because if you look at football it's always on now yeah yeah I mean um, Channel 4 doing a great job really um, watching the coverage of the the athletics uh, Paralympics World Championships and you know the way they explain they've actually got disabled people and um, um, this, uh, Paralympic athletes that previous explaining the rules um, and they're doing a great job like uh, presenting and explaining and I think the more that takes off um, I mean they've always just recently started doing it um, over the last few years um, the more and more that takes off I think the more and more coverage Paralympic sport will get. Um, I mean, athletics is probably, for TV purposes, the best one to um, to promote and to cover. There's lots of events and lots of athletes, and you know, it's a bigger event. But um, you know, not sports like wheelchair basketball and wheelchair rugby. I think they could have their own. Um, you know, um, televised world championships as well because those are just as exciting. Like, you know, you watch next year, like I said, about the top five teams um, going toe-to-toe, like, between one, two points in it. You know, it's going to be a few nail-biting games and, you know, sometimes it's better than the football game, you know. Um, you know um, I've watched many drab affairs uh, <laughs> <laughs> with football <laughs> and that got televised and so I think I mean the more and more like uh coverage Paralympic sport gets uh, it might it might filter out to the other other Paralympic sports that are more not more or just as exciting as um, as athletics. And then as we touch upon like the T V coverage, do you do you see yourself possibly in the future going down that route and maybe B 
being a presenter or say one of the actual reporters for what might not even be Channel 4, but going down that route well, after your career is finished? Um, I've never really thought about it. Um, like, I think I just want to, at this moment, um, just pursue a, like a, a speaking career. Like a, um, not like an inspirational uh, speech and um, just at events and after dinner events and like doing carrying my school work but um, it's never really something I've thought about presenting and um, and I'm not sure I'll be that skilled at it to be honest <laughs> um, but uh, like yeah I mean if it's an option I might consider it but it's probably highly unlikely that I'll go down that route because um, like I said um, about my interview uh, after the Canada game uh, I've not watched that back and that's like a two-minute interview, and I don't know how I'd manage to um, watch myself back presenting and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, if the opportunity is there and I feel it's right for me, I'll take it. But at this moment in time, uh, probably not. But then you can't do you can't do any worse than some some of the commentators. Yeah, I mean, no, um, like Steve McManaman on um, on BT Sport is a bit. Is a bit drab and uh, obvious. Owen, Michael Owen, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, commentating might be a good. Uh, uh, some people, um, few of my teammates jokingly say, like, I'd love to hear you as a commentator um, uh, during the game because sometimes I'd be quite harsh and quite quite funny, or sometimes you know, like a bit out there, like, um, and maybe that's something. I could do like commentating on a, on a game, but then I think people enjoy that sometimes when the person is honest. Uh, they've actually done the sport themselves. They they can kind of see it from the athlete's perspective, yeah. And seeing well, so and so could have done it this way. They should have done that. Yeah. And you're being honest. You can kind of see it. Uh, give it from the viewer's perspective you're giving it, uh, giving them a look-in through the athlete's eyes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's always good to have, like, a somebody who's, well, not, like, not, who knows the sport to explain the sport. Like, when we watch um, some of the coverage on, on TV and you've got these um, big-time presenters... Um, making mistakes like um, and you just get annoyed listening to them and you, you sometimes mute it um, I think that happened with one of our like championships at wheelchair rugby you know some um, some guy who never knew the sport is commentating on what he's seeing which is completely wrong and he's asking the guy next to him what was that called by the referee and you know so if, if it's done right um, you can get and get a good commentator on board or somebody who's experienced in the sport um, who who knows the game and adds a bit of fun to it um, and yeah that'd be that'd be great really and my last question before we wrap up the episode if you had to summarise this episode into one sentence what would that be? Um, oh that's a tough one <laughs> Um, 
I mean, I've done most of the talking, sorry. Um, I think the summer is um, just looking back on my career um, so far. um, And I think it just rings with any athlete career at the moment. But especially with, like, disability and stuff. uh, It's just those two words, really. It's just um, resilience and confidence. um, And having that self-belief. So having those three things. Um, like a good recipe for success, not just in sport, um, but in any anything really, and that's the sort of message I give to the the school children, and hopefully that simple message gives them a platform to to succeed in life. I think that's some good words to live by. Those. Uh, so, I ask once again, thank you for coming on the Mindset Game podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's my pleasure. And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review, as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it will be more visible in future to others, and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast.